Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a meal delivery plan that is 100% heart-healthy, plant-based, made without gluten, oils, or refined sugar. All customers receive eight meals and two sides for only $100 plus $9.99 shipping. They offer an exciting new menu each week that are shipped out on Mondays. Based in New Jersey, Try Vegan delivers north to Vermont, south to Maryland, west to Pennsylvania, includes all major cities such as New York and Philly. There's no contractor commitment, and you all, my audience, can save 25% off your first order. Promo code capital L, capital Y, capital T, capital Y, yoga. That's lit yoga. Website is tryveganmealprep.com. Vince is a friend of mine. He is an amazing human being. And I have this myself. This saves me time and energy. And I get these delicious, delicious homemade meals delivered right to my doorstep. So try vegan yourself. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A, you ask the questions and I answer. The first question would be from Nelites. M-E-L-I-T-A-E-I-S. This is from Instagram. Could you recommend a specific pose or movement that may assist in a person with asthma? The main thing I would say is, I don't know, I'm not a specialist with asthma, but I know I've worked with people with asthma and I've, I know that whether it's outside movement or inside movement, I'm getting expansiveness in the lungs and getting a very um, good diaphragmatic breath pattern is important. So I found with the people that I've worked with, really strengthening the core is is just fundamental for improving asthma. You know, if it's not triggered by things that you know out of your control, like dust or sometimes cold air when people exercise in the cold air. But nonetheless, I think core integration activation is strengthening that so that it strengthens your pelvic floor connection, it strengthens your diaphragm, and it strengthens the other muscles that contribute to breathing, like your intercostals, that help um, expand and close down the rib cage, right? So that you can really get those big full breaths. 
So for instance, at the beginning of all of my classes in the reset part, we do abdominal work and we're doing it there to work the abdominals, but also in the job of, uh, for breath. So it's, we're doing pranayama. I always say this is the most effective way in my, in my opinion, as a physical therapist and, and just from also teaching yoga in different ways where I used to sit and practice pranayama just kind of on its own. And that has incredible benefit. But if the purpose is to strengthen your breath, enhance your breath, improve your breathing, you have to get your abdominals going. You have to get some of those core muscles, like I mentioned, um, that is that really are huge accessories for breath. The diaphragm has part of it is musculature. You can strengthen your diaphragm. It will strengthen your, it will improve your breath capacity so that you can have bigger, more robust breaths. And especially when you have any kind of breathing restriction, whether it's an an asthma or emphysema or things like that, where you really need to get the exhale out so that you can take a good inhale. You need those muscles to help with that. So get your abdominals going. I don't think one pose is going to be better than another if you know your abdominals aren't really engaged in the same way. Hugo Clock asked me, do you have any tips for helping to loosen the hip flexors? Uh, so th- this, these kind of questions are wonderful and they're so common. And they're as from a physical therapy standpoint, they're really hard to answer in a soundbite because it's much more complex than just loosening the hip flexors. So the hip flexors are the muscles that attach across the front of your hip that bring your knee up, that that bring the femur closer to the abdomen. All right. So that's movement at the hip that is bringing two ends of the joint together. And extension is when you're bringing two ends of the joint apart. So if we are sitting in a flex position and we stand up that those hip flexors, which weren't weren't actually working when we were sitting, but they were shortened. They were in a, they were in a positional um, shortened state. So if you are doing that a lot, positionally shortening the hip flexors, uh, they will, the tissues around them will feel restricted. And so people think they need to stretch them. Okay. Yes, they do. So that's part of it though. So to loosen them, what you actually have to do is move your hip in all of the ways that it it needs to move. And so it needs to move in flexion. It sounds counterintuitive, but just because you were positioned in hip flexion doesn't mean that those hip flexors are actually um, working and that they know how to get there on their own. There's usually hip flexors are weaker. You know, it's kind of paradoxical because you think of if they just feel so restricted, but they're also weak. So I think what I found is by actually focusing on the mobility of the hip in all of the ways, including in active hip flexion, you actually will quote unquote, loosen your hip flexors a lot better than a static stretch where you're just kind of pulling that tissue in the opposite way it was when it was sitting. And 
find because you're you're going to be pulling on something. It'll have some effect for sure. It'll certainly feel like it's having effect. So there's nothing wrong with the stretching of them, but you you need to move your hips in a variety of way. Another short answer to this is learn how to flex at the hips well, actively. So sitting in hip flexion is not necessarily learning how to hip flex well. You need to practice squatting with a really good feeling of hip flexion. And I will tell you, if I just have somebody and they said, what's one move I could do that will help my hips? I would say, learn how to squat well. And if you just did that, it will help a lot in that feeling of needing the hips to be loosened. That one move, the movement of hip flexion and extension, because it's really like you are just taking, I often say this, it's like you're taking your a towel or a bunch of towels and you put them in the washing machine and you forget about them, right? You forget to take them out and dry them, whether it's in the dryer or hang them up to dry. And two or three days go by and you're like, oh crap, I got to go. And you go and those towels have now just like, not only gotten a little mildewy probably, they've dried to some degree. Maybe they have a little bit of dampness still in them into this really crunkly state. You know, it's like you've just picked up those towels that have dried and they're not, you know, they're not their usual laid out shape. So. Um, you don't just put them in the dryer that way, or you don't just try and flatten them out. What do you usually have to do? You have to rewash them. You have to get them hydrated again. You have to reform that tissue. And so that's really what happens in a lot of the places of where we feel tightness is we actually have to move there and um, kind of get the reshaping of, of the action happening. So I hope that helps. All right. Um, Gasha Patchell asks, why extend your arms in front of you and not sideways when reaching up before a forward fold? So this is what she's referring to, if you're not sure, um, is when I teach from like Tadasana to bring the arms up overhead in a sun salutation, I reach the arms straight forward and up as opposed to going out to the side and abduction in this more traditional quote unquote way where you reach the arms up and then you swan dive. And I go into a lot of detail with this in my teacher training. So the short answer is it's a functionally much easier and more valuable really movement pattern to go forward and up. And it has a lot to do with the structures of your shoulder joint. The structures of your shoulder joint are, you have a ball in a socket, but this ball here, you know, we were just talking about the hips, which are also a ball in a socket, but the, the, the shoulder is really barely, it's not being covered. It's the ball is actually bigger than the covering of it, the socket of it. And it's like a little disc kind of barely covering um, part of the ball. So when it spins, part of the overlie of the scapula is this little roof-like structure it's called the acromion. And the acromion, when you're going out to the side, you have to clear pretty much the entire side of the acromion you have to clear. 
And what that means, when I say clear, I mean, there's, there's this thing called impingement. Now, impingement is not necessarily a bad thing. It sounds like a bad thing. Impinging doesn't sound healthy, but there's a lot of things that get impinged, meaning they're getting pressed together. But if you press something together enough times, there can be um, a fallout of that. And there's the supraspinatus tendon, which is one of the rotator cuff tendons, gets compressed between the acromion and the humerus when it when it when the arm reaches out to the side. If fundamentally all these neuromuscular activity um, or activations are not happening, and let me just talk in layman's terms, you are there's a lot more that has to happen biomechanically, neuromuscularly to have a a good experience for the sh- in terms of the shoulder joint going out to the side every single time. So it's like conducting a symphony and every single time hitting the notes. And most people are not hitting the notes. They don't have the rotator cuff um, strengthening. They don't have some of the scapula strengthening required for this. It's a very, very, it's an easy looking movement. And there's a a lot of complex things that are happening in the brain mapping of it. Going forward, it's not nearly as complicated in terms of needing to, you're not going to have the risk, quote unquote, of impingement. It's also more functional. I always say you reach up to a cabinet straight ahead. It's not like you reach out to the side. Hip uh, shoulder abduction is not a really hugely functional move. And um, there's a lot that can kind of not feel great about it. And people have said that when when they stop doing it that way, they're like, oh yeah, it, it always felt a little wonky the other way, or sometimes it would pull. And I just think why do a pose that, or why do a movement pattern that is less functional and possibly more harmful and then, then doing it in a, in a, you know, in this way that's much more functional and aligned. So that's a, there's a lot more to say about that. Again, I, I spend a lot of time in my teacher training talking about that. Gasha also asked, should I worry about loud crackling in the knee? It's clearly audible to those around me. Well, sound joint sounds are not in, inherently bad and, and every people can make there can be people who make a lot of sound, you know, that just are just noisy, crackly people, and there's no pain associated with it. So there still is um, most people, most practitioners of physical therapy, most doctors agree that sound in itself is not worrisome. It might just be interesting to know why that knee is making that sound. Um, my, I've often said my brothers, I would always hear them before they I saw them as a teenager. So this was years ago because they their knees just cracked. They'd be walking up and down the stairs and it's cracking. Absolutely no discomfort to this day. You know, we're half a century old and they're running and there's, there's no knee issues at all. So it, I would say if it's not bothering you, then I wouldn't worry about it. If it's, you find that you have any kind of patella tracking issues or things like that, then that would be something to explore. And patellar tracking issues, um, the pelvis patella, this, the kneecap has a groove that it slides over so that you, and the patella is there as a, it's really there um, 
it's this floating uh, bone that's there to protect the joint, right? Because we're going to kneel on it. And it's much more protective than our elbow, by the way. You know, our elbow, uh, they both hurt when we bang it, but our knee really gives us that platform upon we crawling and, and kneeling and and it's very protective. So, but the tracking of the patella can be prop that can create uh, pain, swelling, and there can be some sounds when your when your patella isn't tracking well. So I would just look at that. And tracking of the patella can be or not or mal malalignment tracking of the patella can happen because of the the position of your hip how you walk if if your knee drops in or if you're if you do have um, anterior tilt and you've got um, less hip flexion and it's happening more in the knee so I would that's what I would investigate uh, here's a non anatomy question where do you find yourself most challenged in life although that could be an anatomy question this is from Banan where do I find myself most challenged in life. Uh, I think for me, most challenging, and I think a lot of people probably feel this way, so I don't know how original this is, but the first thing that pops in my mind is is life balance, is just balancing the different demands. Demands isn't quite the word, because to me, it's not a demand in a bad way. Like the demands of being a mom, that's that's not a bad thing. It's more like just the the space that I need to have for that. Um, versus like the demands or the space I need to have for my work, the, the demands or space I need to have for my husband, for for my um, family outside of my kids, you know, my my mom and my brothers, and and then for friends, and then for for exploration, you know, for just doing things like reading a book that has nothing to do with my work, you know. So there's and and pursuing any other passion. So I, for me, it's really that the balance of that is the biggest challenge. And I feel it a little bit less now than I have in the past at times, even though I have a lot more on my plate now. But I think as a mom, when your kids are really in in it, meaning, you know, uh, younger and I was running them around more, um, you know, to, to after school activities, it was kind of like in school, when they were in school, that was like, boom, everything I needed to get done was when really needed to happen then. And those hours just fly by, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you think, oh gosh, drop off. And then, but I would teach, I would um, practice myself. I would do things for work and maybe run some errands or something. And then boom, have to get the kids. And, you know, my, in those days when they were younger, it, that was, I was never done with work by the time I would get them. So um, sometimes I would like, they're doing some homework and I try and do some of my own catching up with emails or writing an article or dealing with studio stuff. So that would produce some guilt in me because I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'm getting this done because they're, they're busy doing something else. But there was, I I would feel like I needed to be getting stuff done and yet I would also feel like I needed to turn this off and just, you know, make dinner and then, and go about my day as if I just walked away from my job at 3.30 or 4 when I would get my kids and that was done. You know, like you leave your office, but when you work for yourself, you never leave your office. So that is the good and the bad. And I've, I've 
heard it. I remember hearing this so many times before I started really working for myself. And I've worked for myself for so many years now, so I don't know any different. But I do know that um, the work is never done, meaning there's always more to do. It's not like... A, so there, if you're ever thinking about working for yourself... Know if know yourself well. Like, are you the type of person that really likes those parameters that needs those kind of very, 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 very clear boundaries? You walk out of an office, you might have a little work or something, but pretty much it's done. And or do you like that you don't have to answer to anybody, that you're in charge, but there's always going to be work to do, and and you just have to kind of be okay with that. You know, that there's there's you never put your pen down. I think is kind of the motto. It's just, it's, and for me, I love that. Like I, I am, I'm a creator. I create and I get more energy from the work I do. So if you said, take five days off of work, I could do it. It's not like I'm a workaholic, but I love it. It's my passion. And so it actually really makes me more efficient and more alive in the other areas of my life simultaneous to that. So again, you can, you can kind of hold two places in the same, you can, you can feel two things simultaneous to that feeling of like, I love what I'm doing. I feel so excited about it. I also can sometimes feel that I have a hard time with the balance of it. And so that's, that's the challenge for me. And, um, but I get, have a lot of help. I have a great, great work team that is just amazing. And my partner team, my, my husband is, is, um, is such a gift. Like I really, I'm going to cry talking about it. Like he is such a gift and, and that's what makes it all, all work. So the challenge doesn't feel huge, but thank you for that, that question. And I'll end on one more non, uh, movement physical therapy question, because there's, there's always a mix of these, which I really appreciate. And by the way, I love it when I ask for Q&A and I get in the Q&A, I get a lot of questions, but then I get a lot of just little like, keep doing what you're doing. I love it. I love your page. I mean, people are so um, sweet. I, I love you all. You're so great. So Neri um, Petit-Jean asks book recommendations. And so I have some book recommendations. Let's see. Well, right now I'm reading The Meaning of Life and Man's Man's Meaning of Life, I think that is. Um, and it's about a man who survived the Holocaust. And he is, it, I'm, I'm like halfway through it, about three quarters of the way through it. And his, he just has so many wonderful qu- quotes in it about like, it's not, if you can, you can survive pretty much anything. If you have, you can, you can figure out the how, if you know the why. So he would talk about how some people would be like the more robust in the concentration camp or really strong. And, and yet they didn't necessarily survive if they didn't have an important reason to survive, if they didn't have a why. And it's just really um, fascinating. He doesn't talk about a lot of the awful, I mean, it's all awful, but he doesn't go into details about the daily like torture and things like that of the, of the concentration camp. What he talks about is a lot about the human spirit. 
I mean, he's a psychiatrist. So he, it, it's so interesting. And he came out of it and his original intention when he survived was to write it as, um, as an anonymous person. He did not want it to have, to have his name connected with it when he would go back and start his work again as a psychiatrist, as a doctor. And then he realized that, yeah, well, if he doesn't put his name on it, it could just be overlooked like, well, yeah, this is not like a real person. You know, so he had to give it the credibility because somehow he had the foresight to know that there would be people that doubted the existence of the Holocaust. And so anyway, it's a just, it's a really powerful book and um, I can't recommend it enough. I have, I've said this before, I love nonfiction and I love fiction. And I would say the fiction books that have really stood out to me lately have been, you know, books that other people have, have just love and like the hummingbird. I should have my whole list. I always go back to my favorite favorite. And that is Barbara King, Barbara Kingsolver. Anything by Barbara Kingsolver is just amazing. I just love her work. And Poisonwood Bible is always in my top three. So I will promote that again. But I tend to be reading like a nonfiction and a fiction and then some, you know, like a new Newsweek that I read. It's not Newsweek, the magazine, but I read The Week. And it's a really wonderful magazine my sister-in-law got me. It's the only magazine I get. And it's it's really refreshing in this time where you just don't know if you're reading something. I mean, I have sources that I read for news, but there's so much out there that is so politically biased, the, the news sources. So the week is great because it gives you a variety of perspectives. I mean, it definitely has a progressive lean. There's no doubt about it, but it doesn't, it tells you what the other perspectives are and it gives you the sources of those perspectives without bashing them, right? So it's, it's, it's really lovely. So yeah, that's what, those are the recommendations I have. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. This is always fun. This Q&A. Enjoy your day as always. I'm pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.